Welcome to Inspired by Her, the podcast that will give you the inspiration, motivation, and tips for success from some of the top executives, CEOs, and influencers from around the globe. With your host, serial entrepreneur and named one of the most influential Filipina in the world, Kate Hancock. In our Inspired by Her podcast, and today I have my beautiful mate. She's a lawyer and founder of Cornejo Deals. Wendy Gaffey, welcome. Thank you. It's fun to see you. I wish I could see you in person, but this will be as good as we get, right? Yes, yes, yes. Take what we can get. Yes. Um, For anyone who didn't didn't know you, Wendy, can you briefly introduce yourself? Uh, Sure. I'll give you my background very briefly. Um, I went to UCLA, then I went to law school. And, uh, but in my blood, I was always an entrepreneur. I was always that annoying friend who was like, wouldn't this be a great idea if we did this? Or why don't we do this? I was that person, right? So after law school, I um, did entertainment litigation and family law for five years. And then I just, I had an idea for business and I quit. Um, Much to my parents' shock and chagrin. And I started a candy company and I knew not one thing about business. I did not grow up in a business family. So I really had to figure it out on my own. Wow. Wow. You have to tell me about that candy story where you get all the show. How did you, you pretty much growth hack it. So can you share with that story? So it's kind of interesting. Now that I know more about business, I see how fortunate I was in that first business because I really started, I think, with. $5,000, something like that of my own money, but everyone gave me terms. Everyone loved the idea and gave me terms. And I really didn't realize how unusual that was for a new business. So the candy company said, pay me for the candy when you can. The person who did my packaging said, pay me for the packaging when you can. So I had a lot of help um, with that. Um, I was also fortunate. We really relied a lot on publicity. This is pre-internet for not to age myself, but um, the pre-internet days. And so you really, if you had no money, you had to rely on publicity and PR. And so we had a publicity plan, um, which worked. Wow. Wow. And so, um, but when you, where did you grow up? So I grew up, I was a Valley girl. Do you remember that song? Valley girl, for sure, for sure. Right. (laughs) So that was me. So um, I grew up in the Valley. but my parents are from the Midwest. My parents are from Cleveland. So I think a little bit of that Midwest mentality is always, you know, impacted me and affected me Yeah, in a positive way, I think. Yeah. And I know your, um, your dad is a lawyer too, right? Yeah. My dad is a um, family law attorney. He's very well known in the really nationally. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's still practicing and he's 82 years old and he's loves it and he's still doing it. He, he doesn't divorce people like me. He divorces like really rich people. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, our very, I remember our first forum meeting, we were, you know, you were gracious enough, um, to invite us. In his All right. You were in his office. That's right. That's beautiful. There's some beautiful painting. And, um, <clears throat> Wendy, what is the best memory, memory of your childhood and the worst? So I would say the best um, was sixth grade. Mm -hmm. I was a really shy, quiet, introverted kid. And I was lucky to have a sixth grade teacher named, we all called him Mr. Y. And he really um, gave me a lot of confidence and brought me out of my shell, I think. And he was really, of course your parents do, but when you have another person see you, and recognize your talents or possibilities, it gives you, I think, more confidence than what your family's already, they have to love you, right? So it was like an outside person. And so Mm -hmm. I think that gave me a lot of confidence. I actually tried to find him. Um, Wouldn't it be cool if you can go back and thank your old teachers? Yeah, I, yeah, I have that one teacher too. I remember she always like gives me like snacks, even though we're not supposed to, like she just, you know, like I, I did search her and then I think her daughter told me that she died already. So I'm kind of sad, but I still remember that very good teacher that really motivates you and believed in you. Right. Right. So I think that had a, um, that really had a big impact on me looking back at the time. You don't know, but looking back, I think that had a big impact on me. Um, And the worst memories kind of 
interesting because it really didn't happen so much when I was a kid. Um, I don't explain this. It's um, my parents were married for a really long time. They were married for 34 years and we had, we thought they had a fine relationship. Like we really thought we were growing up in a Brady bunch type of family. Mm-hmm. And a week after I got married, my parents told us they were getting divorced after 34 years. And it was a shock of not knowing it's sort of like, uh, uh, I can't, I can't even really think of analogies. Whatever you thought was real, all of a sudden wasn't real anymore. And you really kind of start looking back and questioning what was really real um, growing up and in terms of my life and what you, what I saw. So that was like a, wasn't so much my childhood, but I think it really was a change from, Hey, I thought my childhood was this and it wasn't really. Oh, wow. Wow. And, um, that thank you for sharing that and do you did you have any heroes or role model when you were a child yes yeah, so um you might find this unlikely because i think people look up to actors or actresses and or politicians and that wasn't my case um we had uncles that we were really close to great uncles so my grandfather's brother was a judge and he really probably had the biggest impact of me of anyone he was just he walked through the world fearlessly. Wow. He would go up and talk to anybody. He was so um, warm and genuine and unfiltered, and he lived life every second. He lived life like every day was the last day, right? And I think he had a really big impact on me. Wow, that's beautiful. He's still Is he still alive? No, he'd be like over... He'd probably be like a hundred years old now, no. But growing up, he really was a big part. He didn't have his own children, so we were sort of we were really like grandchildren to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was a really big influence on being a really big role model. Yeah, wow. And uh, when you were growing up, do you always wanted to be a lawyer? I, I don't think I ever really wanted to be a lawyer, to tell you the truth. Um, but I always was interested in the law and I was always interested in things like politics and writing and thinking. And I'm a, I tend to be a very logical think thinker. And so the law really appeals to me in that way, because there's a lot of logic involved. There's a lot of looking at things from various sides. And so I think that really appealed to me, but I think in my heart, I always thought I'd be a lawyer for a short time. And I always thought I would do something else. Wow. Okay. And, um, Wendy, how did you, um, what was your journey like to get where you are? So my journey was kind of like this. <laughs> like every entrepreneur you probably talked to, right? I was saying it looks like the graph of the stock market today, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. So, um, it was definitely not a straight line by any means. One thing I've learned about myself is I kind of have a five-year attention span of doing things. So um, I was a practice law for five years. I had my candy business for five years. I did, I was a writer pretty much for five years. The longest thing I've ever done is the business I'm in now. Um, and now I really want to add something else to it because I just feel that itch to do something new. Wow. Wow. And um, can you tell me how, uh, how did you come up with the name of your company, Conejo Dill? Oh, actually my brother gets, my brother's my business partner and he gets credit for that. Mm-hmm. Um, we live in the Caneo Valley, um, more so he does. And his idea was really to have a Groupon type business that served a local community. Um, so initially this was actually kind of interesting because, uh, he started this business and kind of dragged me into it. Um, but it turned out to be a great business because there's a philanthropic component to it. Mm-hmm. So we've given away half a million dollars um in 10 years which is pretty good for a small business to dozens of local nonprofits and charities we've helped launch a lot of businesses like where we live out here it's really fun to say oh we helped launch that restaurant over here we helped launch that hairstylist we helped launch whatever and we're also like a matchmaker for the community like we sell tickets to the four seasons like the exclusive um ticket sellers so it's kind of fun to go to a, an event at the four seasons and see 2000 people there who all bought tickets for you. So it's kind of fun to have that impact. Yeah. And how long have you had the um, Cornejo deals? Okay. So this week was our 10 year anniversary. Isn't that crazy? Wow. 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 And I think, 
I'm not sure. I think you, you shared me at one point that you, is that a business partner or an employee that tried to copy your idea? Yeah. So we had, a um, my brother had an initial business partner, um, at the beginning, um, who thought it would be a good idea to copy once we launched, copy our website and steal our entire database. Um, my brother and I really, this goes back to the Cleveland Midwest thing. We're just very trusting and everyone's good. And it really never occurred to us um, that someone would be a shyster really and do that. It was really shocking, honestly. And that was extremely stressful time at the beginning of our business because it was a do or die moment. You know how much Kate you put into your business at the beginning and to have someone betray you like that was horrible and heartbreaking. And what, what ended up happening? So this is where my legal background actually really came in handy. And um, I will say my law background has really helped me tremendously in business. So we really kind of gave him an ultimatum. We gave him his money back and pretty much kicked him out of the business. We obviously could have sued him for fraud and a bunch of other things, but he had no money. So it ended up being one of those things, Kate, you know, with, that always happens where something seems awful at the time and turns out to be a blessing in disguise because if he was still our business partner, we would never be where we are today. So it turned out that even though he did that at the time, it felt horrible and tragic and like the end of the world at the end, it ended up being the best thing for our business. Yeah. um, We had those in the beginning because we're naive. We don't know. We're just so trusting. And I remember I have this, um, she was just helping me, in packing orders and my mistake was I gave her a company credit card and I kid you not she was shopping every month using the credit card 2500 a month for like eight months and it took me a while to um caught that because she was shopping for me too in groceries so in my head she was shopping for the company and myself I mean for everything and it was mixed things and I was like oh my God, like you really learn after that. When someone did that to you in the beginning and then you become like very cautious after that. Right, yeah. And actually, I guess you're kind of lucky if you get away with 2,500 a month or whatever because you always hear stories about people, businesses have people embezzle millions of dollars from them. And yeah. it, it's, and the people, it's people you never think, right? Yes, it's always so. Yes, it's always it's always a surprise. It's not like they walk. You know, you're expecting the person to walk in with the mask and the gun. Then we know that they're the bad guy, right? It's always someone working next to you, or it's, it's yeah. just crazy. And I mean, you, look how many entrepreneurs you talk to. It's not a it's not a rare story, right? Like everyone has type of thing like that. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Winnie, what's your typical day like now? Um, COVID day. COVID day. Yeah. <laughs> My COVID day, my COVID schedule. Um, well, my son is home from Boston University. His senior year is supposed to be in Boston, and he's now doing it on the couch in the other room, probably as we speak. Um, so we hang out a lot. Um, but I've been getting to do things. Uh, there's some definitely blessings in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like Here's like an example. So I happen to live in a really pretty area where there's great hiking trails, and we walk and stuff like that. But the walks feel so different now because you're not in a hurry to get back, right? So you're taking your time. Yeah. So you're taking your time. You're looking around. You're not feeling like guilty, like, oh, I'm walking, but I've got 10 other things I have to do, right? Yeah. So it's such an interesting change. And I don't think it's just me. Like, I've noticed my neighbors, right? No one's in a rush anymore. Everyone's waving hi. How you doing? Talking six feet apart, looking at each other's dogs. And so times really slowed down almost it almost feels like more like when I was a kid where people weren't such a rush to do things Mm -hmm. um so that's part of it I've really been making a conscious effort to check in on people who I feel like are vulnerable and I've also been trying to like match make I mean you do a ton of that Kate too like try to help people with different connections um so that's been kind of fun and I've had some success with that Wow, wow. So I've been to your house. It's so beautiful. Oh, thank you. And you even text me, do you want to go hike? And when you go there up in the hill, you go to the Kardashian place. Yeah. <laughs> do you still hike the same route? No. 
so um, yeah, so some of our routes have been changed a little bit because they closed some of the things, but the, in, I live in Bell Canyon, so some of the Bell Canyon hikes, we're just very lucky to have them. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, would you, what advice would you give to an aspiring entrepreneurs? You know what, I think the best advice is don't listen to other people. Because every single thing I've ever done, every idea I've ever had, I was just met with a bunch of naysayers, not out of meanness, people who love me, right? Mm -hmm. But um, no one ever thought any of my ideas were any good, really. So I think that's the biggest thing because it's just to go for it and to try it um, and not be afraid and really not listen to the naysayer i would almost listen to a naysayer who is an entrepreneur another entrepreneur maybe but first i would not listen to anyone who's never been an entrepreneur because those people just look at life differently and live their life more conservatively so you can imagine even when i was a lawyer what was so interesting kate was so many other lawyers were so jealous of what i did Hmm. and they would say i could never do that i'm like you were why right you were the exact same as me and um, they were just always more comfortable, you know, getting a salary. And my feeling was when I quit, I could have always gone back. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I would say to them. Like, so if you take two years off, you're going to go, you, you can go back and be an attorney. But it was very interesting. I don't know if it's the prestige or the stability or the salary or not having enough confidence. I don't know what it is. But that was very interesting, I think. How many, and these people are obviously all very bright. Um, but you know, it's, it's a fearless component and you've had so much of that, Kate, you know, so how would you explain it? Not that I'm supposed to be interviewing you, but how would you explain like, where did your fearlessness come from? Cause I think of you is so fearless. Well, I think for me, my, 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 I have, you know, I'm not afraid to take the risk because what do I have to lose? I came from nothing. So I'm just going to try with no, I don't overthink things. I just, rely on my gut feeling okay I but I I look at data okay this sounds really good and I'm feeling really good about it and I'm gonna try a little bit and then it works and then I put the gas and it works and that's like for me that's just well I have no fear of losing because I have nothing to lose I think that's a big thing for me so you just feel like if you were back where you started and you were fine when you started and you'll be fine yeah 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 have you ever had something that you tried that wasn't successful or didn't work out how you thought? Yeah, I, I, oh my God, I tried this one. The very first one, I thought it was, it was a good idea. I did that experiential marketing and hiring promo person to do events. And cause I, I used to do that and it was so hard because it, it requires so much um, operation and you have to like, it, it takes so much of your time and you ended up not making any money. Mm -hmm. So I think that was one thing. And then I realized I can do that, but that was, that was, I I was trying that while I was babe, while my kids are growing up. So I can't really do full, full blown into running a business. I tried, but I have no clue what I was doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. But it's not until I, I was in a, I was doing different things that I learned as I work and I put things together and combine my knowledge into one. Right. Wow. Right. Yeah. Wow. So, um, where do you think is your entrepreneurial journey from? You said your parents are not. What was your drive? I'm going to ask you. You know, I hate to because I'm really so curious. Like with other entrepreneurs, like is this something you saw or is it in your DNA? And I think the longer I do this, I think it's something in your DNA, honestly, mm-hmm. um, because. Like even like my husband is in an entrepreneurial family. Mm -hmm. Uh, My father-in-law is really entrepreneurial. And my husband, the way his brain works, he's much more linear, right? He's not into the risk-taking. Like if you say, do this, right? Here's the result I want. He will do it. But he's not the entrepreneurial risk-taker like my father-in-law is. And then conversely, like in my family, um, like I would joke like with my parents, like my parents thought a risky business move was having a CD, right? Like that was like, that's a family I grew up in. Okay. No risk. And everyone in our world, I didn't know one business person. And mm-hmm. so actually when I started, my first business was in college. I didn't know what I was doing. 
when I started the candy business, I had just gotten married and my father-in-law would ask me questions like, well, what's your net profit margin? I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. Right. Well, what's your overhead absorption absorption? I'm like, I don't even know what that means. I have no idea what you're talking about. So I really didn't, I had no one in that world to look to or to ask to. Um, so I just think it's like the way my brain works, like even with other people's businesses, like I'm just so interested in business and ideas. That's the fun part about me. Running a business to me is not that fun. Coming up with the ideas is really fun, right? <laughs> it sounds like my husband. Oh my God. He is an idea man. And so he would come up with different things and I would shut I'm kind of a little bit being, I have to be better, but I was just like, it doesn't make sense. And uh, it's just, it's, it's amazing how, you know, you're in the same household and you think differently and you need to like compromise and figure out to balance, you know, everything. So, um, yeah. So I can imagine if you have a partner and that's so, uh, you know, opposite of, how you operate that's got to be very hard right but but some of it like my brother and I is really interesting because here's another example we're only 14 months apart we came from the exact same family the things I'm good at he's either bad at or hates doing and the thing that he's good at I'm either bad at or hate doing so it's so interesting that we're two children in the same exact family who grew up literally a year apart that our um, strengths and weaknesses are so different and I think in a business partner, that's the one thing I've learned because it's the first time I've had a business partner. It's so helpful to have somebody who compliments your weaknesses. Yeah. And I think that you really have to like each other is a very important thing. You have to really like that person. That's what I'm hearing now. Like, yeah, I think, yeah. And I think we're, the thing we do have in common is we're both super laid back, <laughs> right? So if you had someone who was like super neurotic all the time and you're laid back, that would be really hard to deal with but because we're both you know laid back and calm and no don't yell and that type of thing that part's very complimentary that's very good yeah. business partner kate no i can't um my husband helps me his he's he's really good at he's a good integrator but my fear of having a business partner is like i don't know what it is i'm not that open yet to have a business partner because i think there's probably some some control issue in the back of my head that what if he will buy into my vision or the direction? Like right. I need to find that right person that thinks the way similar to right. You know, I know I could probably learn from other people's ideas. I'm open with that. It's just like when I like this is the direction to where I'm going. This is what I believe in. I'm like really focused to that one and if someone's it's gonna be hard for me and that's the reason why I'm hesitant with business partner yeah mm -hmm. no that makes sense and actually one thing like to your point uh, my brother like I'm technically the CEO and my brother hates making the big decisions so wow. my brother if there's anything big is like you decide you decide, you decide. So it, it kind of benefits me because it's that control thing. So I, maybe it would be tough to have somebody who like really butted heads with you, who really wanted things in a different direction. You're right. I'd probably have trouble with that. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, what have been the biggest challenges you've had to overcome with business or with everything? Business. Yeah. With business. Uh, so we talked about the first issue we had with the person stealing the thing. That was a big issue. Um, the biggest issue in my first business, and I have to be slightly vague about this because I have a non-disclosure agreement, but my first business, I was getting a lot of press. I had incredible momentum. And then I got sued by one of the biggest companies in the world for $20 million. Oh my so... God the facade of the whole thing that people saw because I was literally doing four radio stations, uh, interviews every morning. I was in people magazine. I was in the New York times. It was just, so they saw that part of it. The part of it they didn't see was I was literally physically ill from the stress of dealing with this lawsuit. Looking back to your point of not having anything, what did I have? I had like an apartment in rent control apartment in Santa Monica. I had a car. I mean, realistically, I didn't have 20 million 
I didn't have a house. I didn't have anything, any assets at that time that they could really get. But the stress of that um, lawsuit was incredible. And I really felt very alone in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a law firm representing me, but I knew a lot more about intellectual property law than my law firm did. So mm-hmm. it was really, really frustrating. And I think today with that I'm older, I would have handled the whole thing differently. But I was young. I was like 29 years old. Um, and I didn't really have anyone to kind of help me handle it or manage it. But I should have done at the time, looking back, I should have insisted with my insurance company that they had an intellectual law firm, intellectual property law firm, and they didn't. Um, but I was not as confident then as I am today. Today, I would insist on it. Um, then I was intimidated by a bunch of people who were in their 50s and 60s and telling me what to do. Wow, I can imagine your 29-year-old self going through that. I mean, it would even freak me out at this time and I'm a little bit more stronger. Right. But that's, do you think like that have been a really big impact on you as far as decision-making and, or how you get a handle with crisis? Um, yeah, I think it did have a impact. I mean, one thing that it taught me is, um, I was kind of, I don't want to say cocky because that's not the right word. I was sort of idealistic Mm -hmm. I was in the right and I sort of thought that idealism would win. And now I'm a little bit more of a realist, um, because of that experience. What is the, what happened to that? It ended up, did you guys settled or what's the end? We ended up settling the suit. And it was actually kind of interesting because, you know, at the time I told you I was very idealistic and I'm talking to my father, who's a lawyer. I'm like, I'm going to the Supreme Court. Okay. They're not getting away with this. Okay. The whole thing, right? And my dad's like, you were settling the case. It's not fair. You know, that was the kind of conversation we were having then. And he said, they can keep you in court until you're 100 years old, okay? Like, this is not a question of right and wrong. This is the question of moving on, figuring out what's best for you and moving on with your life, which was correct advice. But it was really hard to hear because, you know, with your business, you know, I was 50 hours a week, blood, sweat, and tears, the whole thing. Um, so, and then because of the lawsuit, I really lost my kind of energy for the business afterwards. Like, even though we were still allowed to operate, it kind of let the wind out of my sails, um, having that experience. So I think all these experiences though, just make you smarter for the next business, smarter for the next time, um, think through things, how you handle things. So in the long run, they're all just add to your arsenal of experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've heard a lot of horror story from several of my friends that's going through lawsuit while running a company and it just drains your bank account. So for me, I'll try before the situation escalate, I'll try as much as possible to settle down because I don't want to go to the next step or the next step because it's not worth my time. And I'm going to be ended up with not having any money, just defending yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually one of the reasons that I, stop practicing law is because if you really have um i'm a problem solver and litigation is a horrible way to solve problems because ultimately the person who has the most money could just keep you in court the longest right it's really not a fair system in that way in the united states um so it was just kind of ironic that that's why i kind of left the law and then i got sucked back into it for that exact reason in a business um, context. Wow. Wow. So think back to a time that you felt transformed. How did you change and why? I think, so we didn't talk about this, but when I was in college, I actually started my first little business. Um, and I think having that sense of accomplishment of having an idea and then having an actual product in your hand was probably one of the most transformative things that ever happened to me. Because from that, I started the candy company. I wrote a book. I started this company with my brother. It gives you that confidence that you could do anything. And I almost feel like, like with kids in school, like I wish they could have that kind of experience of having, even if there's a small idea, 
of them figuring it out. Because once you've learned to do that, um, you feel like you could do anything, right? I mean, I think that's probably a lot of what you have, but why you've done so many different things, because once you've done it once, um, it's, it's infectious. Like you just, that high from it, there's really nothing like it. So. Yeah. I think that high, that, that just, yeah. It keeps you up all night and you don't mind working 24 hours a day. Cause like you really want to fix it. Like you really want to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you really quickly about my first business. Yeah. Tell me. So, um, so we were in one of those college tours through Europe and there was this product in a little store window that I had never seen in the United States. There was a wine bottle and on the outside of the wine bottle, there was like this cute little, it looked like the, the wine bottle was wearing like a tuxedo. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you just looked over to the front and those are actually common, kind of common now they're here in the United States, but I had never seen it here. And so we, there was like a female one and a male one. I'm like, this would be such a cute gift for like sororities and fraternities. You know, I was in college, right? Mm-hmm. To sell to gift stores. But at the time, again, there was no, so easy to find stuff on the internet, like, like so much easier. Wow. So it was kind of interesting. I spoke to a class at um, business school, Loyola Marymount. I told them about the idea. I'm like, okay, so if you had this idea and there was no internet, what would you do? right? And you have no sewing background whatsoever, right? I can't even sew on a button. Like I know nothing about that. And so they were all completely sunk without the internet, how you'd figure that out. I thought that was so interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember uh, when I was in college, I would buy stuff. I've been like buying products, buy low, sell high. So I've been buying like t-shirts and I would I would uh, sell it to the employee of my aunt's business and they would just be deducted with their salary. So they have no choice but to pay me back. <laughs> so it's like monthly deduction and then they'll pay it over time. And then I would buy like used cell phones before uh, there was a Nokia 5110. I would buy it used, I'll fix it. And then I would resell it to my family. And I made money through that. Wait, how did you know how to fix it? I'll just have someone that knows how to fix it. Uh-huh. Yes, and then I make it look brand new. But then I, I told them that it was it was refurbished. That was the thing. And so, hey, they'll still buy it because it's a fifty one ten. That was one of the strongest phone in nineteen ninety seven ninety eight. I started texting nineteen ninety eight. Oh right, yeah, yeah, very, yeah, very interesting. Um, when you, what do you see as your place or purpose in life and how did you come up to that conclusion? You know what? I think, um, that's such a big question really, but I think it's really being there for the people in my life. Um, I feel like when people in my life, like have any kind of crisis moment, they tend to call me because they think I'm super logical Mm. and not judgmental. So, um, I've gotten a lot of that for years, but I think, I think now, like, I think I kind of appreciate, um, appreciate that because I've really kept long-term friendships. I mean, I, I really, I don't want to say collect friends cause that's not correct. That's not accurate, but people are really important to me and the people in my life are really important to me. Like a matter of fact, I just wrote an email. I met somebody, um, on a family vacation from 15 years ago. Okay. Wow. We were there for one week. This, I think actually just started right. Yeah. I guess when we had email back then and we both were readers, we both love books. So I said, why don't we just like email every once in a while? Like if you read a good book or I read a good book and I'll recommend them to you. So this woman and I have been friends now for 15 years, almost all through email. And so we write these really long emails, like, every two months to each other about what's going on in our lives. And it's almost like if you went back and looked at her emails and my emails, it's sort of like a diary of our lives. And she's somebody who I probably talked to her on the phone every five years or see her in person every five years. We have this like almost pen pal relationship. But my point being like when I meet somebody who I think is a great, interesting, good person, I love to keep them in my life forever. Um, so that's a long-winded answer to your very short, <laughs> very your, your very short question. That's that's really amazing. Um, so, Winnie, what's something you do even if you never made any money? 
Um, you know what's so funny? I'm never driven by money anyhow. Are you? Are you no, more- I think, no, I think I just want stability and like, I just want to live comfortably. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think for me, I think like if I know that company is like really creating impact to a lot of people, then that's my drive. That's my okay. why. But yeah, it wasn't really about the money to me, even though like we all make sure we can pay our bills and all of that, but it wasn't really the, the money that was. Yeah. So, what I, so I did, I've signed up for two things actually right before COVID and then a, hopefully we'll get to go back to that. But um, one thing that I'm really kind of passionate about, I feel like I was very lucky in my childhood and all the opportunities I had. And I feel like my children have also been very, very lucky in terms of education they've had access to. And not most kids don't have that type of, um, are not as fortunate. So I just signed up actually before um, COVID happened to tutor kids who are in the foster care system or who are homeless, who don't have any school stability and my why with that really is um, I see how much time and effort I put into my own kids when they were in high school. My daughter has a little bit of ADD and really what it took for her to, you know, she's doing great now, but to get her in college and to focus was really, really hard. And I thought, what if she was born in a different family, didn't have the time and resources that we did, she would could be completely lost She's super smart, but she probably would have been like a D student, you know, type of thing. And then when you have that experience and your confidence is shattered, and I just picture all these kids out there who don't have that same kind of opportunity. So I would really like to um, help them. And I also signed up for something called the Harriet Buhai Center for mm-hmm. um, women who are going through a divorce who don't have assets for a divorce attorney. Um, to help them through the process. A lot of them are dealing with, you know, abuse at home, verbal or physical, um, have really nowhere to turn, need help with the legal system. So I signed up for that as well. Wow. 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 That's wonderful. Well, speaking about ADD, I wasn't diagnosed until I moved to the U.S., but when I was in high school, all the way to college, I couldn't focus and I felt so dumb because nothing really observes in my brain except for like maybe one subject, but the rest, I feel like I have to work harder or like have to read a book and write everything. I would have this notes because nothing observes to my brain. And I feel so dumb because how is that my cousin is partying all night and we were classmates in college and I have to do work until midnight and they would come home drunk and I, I would cry because why do I have to work harder but didn't realize I really have bad ADD. Right. So how did you get through that or how did you figure out how do you deal with it now? I think my first year in college, I failed in math really bad. And my mother told me, if you're going to fail another one, you're going to stop going to college. <laughs> she was so rough and not forgiving. And I think that really scares me that I can't have an F. And that was the only F. I, I ha- just have to work harder. Like, I have to study more, like 24. I'm not really 24 hours, but I would stay up to 2 a.m. just to, you know, do my work and do things. So do you realize now that you were just smart, but that you just had ADD? You know, I don't know. Okay. So one of my friends in Florida, she actually introduced me. She told me she has ADD and um, she said she's taking this medicine. So I went to a doctor and she diagnosed with me with ADD and she gave me this Adderall, the smaller milligram. And I feel like after taking that medicine, I become smarter. I don't know. It's probably just in my head. But there's something in my head that made me even more creative and connecting the dots. Or I think, or maybe it's just in my head, but being shrewd, I think after taking that medicine was like my superpower. But I stopped taking it now. Mm-hmm. I barely take it. But I don't know, something that opened up and, or maybe something simulated, or I could be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but in my head, that's what I still believe in. No, I think a lot of entrepreneurs have ADD, don't you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we're, we're super interested in something like for a short bit and the second we figure it out, then we lose interest in it. Yeah, and then, then your focus is in that one thing. 
So that's why it's nice to have people in your life who are, who can focus. And what you said are integrators, right? Who get like, here's the idea, like run with it. So. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what's going to be your next plan? What are you creating something? That's a really good question. So um, I've been trying to get a children's book published for a long time. So I'm still working on that. Um, I'm writing a pilot script that I've been working on for a while. And so I've had time with COVID to focus on that. Um, I have a book proposal that I've been working on for a different book that I've always wanted to write. And uh, now's not the right time to do it, but I think that next year would be. Um, And it's really, I won't give you the whole thing, but my book idea is really like when you have a business and you have a business plan and you sort of start with the end. And I think anyone who's listening to this is not an entrepreneur is going to think this is completely crazy, but I can assure you that all entrepreneurs really think about this. When you're an entrepreneur, you think about like, okay, if this idea takes off, you think of it to the hundredth square power, right, Kate? (laughs) (laughs) So it's like complete unbridled optimism, I think for most entrepreneurs, which I think is great what drives us. Like we don't really, I don't know how to, am I explaining it correctly? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like what you're talking about, yes. Yeah, when I have my like, candy business I would think wow if every single person in the world bought this and then they bought it again <laughs> this is like how you think right it's completely nuts and crazy but that's kind of like how you how you think so anyways my point is when you're start a business you kind of have like this end in mind I don't think anyone ever achieves that but it's great that you have like the BHAG goal in mind right and I think when you live your um it's kind of the concept of the next book when you most of us live our life like a, like in a pinball machine where we're kind of getting bounced around and we don't have so much say over where we're going or we don't think we do. We just follow where that ball is, is hit. And I think the people who kind of end up who get the A in life or whatever, however you want to grade your life are the people who are kind of, are not that ball that keeps getting knocked around. Right. Um, and I think that you do that by seeing what you want the end to look like and then working backwards, almost like a business plan for your life, mm-hmm. right? So if you know at the end that you want, um, it could be something simple, like you want to have 10 great friends, right? And you want your, um, to have a close relationship with your children um, and your spouse or whatever. And if that's your goal, you start there and then you go backwards, but I don't think most of us think of our life that way, right? I think most of us just kind of wake up that day, deal whatever's pressing that moment and don't really think of it with the end in mind so much. So that's kind of what my thought is in terms of a next book. Mm, that's, that's, wow, okay. That's, yeah, that's, so when is that going to be a release? Yeah, <laughs> I'll give you a, I'll give you a copy. Um, I need to write it first. Um, so we'll see, but you know, I'm, uh, I'm in touch with my old agent from my first book. So when that's all done and I would pitch it to her and get her thoughts on it. Yeah. What made you decide to write your first book? Okay. So my first book was called the divorce lawyer's guide to staying married. And, um, I was always super curious. Like, so I, so when I had my candy business, I worked for my dad part-time because I obviously needed money. was earning no money at that time but I was always interested in his cases. Like why were these people getting divorced? And in California, you don't have to give a reason. It's called the irreconcilable differences. You don't necessarily know. And my dad used to not know. I would say this couple seems great for each other. Like why are they getting divorced or how do these people ever end up together? Right. So, um, so he wasn't even always sure in a specific situation. And so what I did was I said, can you give me all your contacts for the top lawyers in the country um, because I want to see what they think, why their clients are getting divorced. And so that's what I did. I interviewed a hundred of the top divorce lawyers in the country and just asked them that question. And then obviously follow up questions to find out why people are getting divorced because all the books up until that time on marriage had been written by therapists. Mm. Therapists see a different group. Therapists see, therapists see people who are still alive, maybe gasping for breath, but they're still alive. Divorce lawyers see people who aren't breathing anymore, right? We're beyond CPR. So you see a different segment. Like the example would be like, if you want to ask people 
uh, find out why people died, would you ask a doctor or would you ask a mortician? Exactly. Right? Doctors see most people who live. Morticians see only people who die. Same as divorce lawyers. So that's really why I got super interested in the topic. And then what was really fascinating was I can interview a lawyer from Alabama or an attorney doing the Manhattan divorces for $1,500 an hour. It's the same stuff, rich or poor, whatever. It's the same things. And so it was really, really interesting. Yeah. So what did you, um, base on, based on asking all these lawyers, what was the common theme? So there were a few common themes that the, I'll tell you the themes that, um, some people know the, the common things like money and sex and different issues like that. Mm-hmm. But one of the most interesting things to me was what one lawyer told me. She said, every divorce comes down to a failure of expectations. And when she first told me that, I was thinking, you just want to get me off the phone. That's like the worst answer ever, right? But the more I thought about it, the more I think she was right. She's like, what were you expecting when you got married? And one lawyer says something similar. He's like, if you were expecting a high school marching band, you got like an okay marriage, but you were only expecting a high school marching band, right? That's great. If you were expecting the LA Philharmonic, right? And you got the high school marching band, you're not so happy, right? So they really talk about like when you get married. So especially people tend to get married young or without experience. And you know, kids completely changes the whole dynamic of everything, right? So um, houses, kids, mother-in-laws, like you you're in this little bubble when you decide who you're going to marry. Um, So I think that's a lot of it. So like some examples would be, let's say you were both partiers when you were single and you were both partiers, you're both fun. And then you get married um, and then you have a kid. Well, suddenly being married to a partier and you have a child to raise, not so great. Right. So your expectations were always like, Hey, when we have a kid, we're going to stop partying and we're going to have real jobs and we're going to have a house. Well, if the other person's not on that page, right, um, or think of any expectation. Let's say you married somebody who was a workaholic. Well, maybe your expectation was, oh, as soon as we're married and have kids, they're going to come home and no, you know. So I thought that was kind of an interesting lesson I learned from writing the book. That's actually right. Now that you mentioned that, it is the expectations that majority people stay out of marriage, wanted to be out of marriage. Right. Like think of your friends who've gotten divorced. You can almost always trace it back. And so like, even though something, let's say you say it's money. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's money, but it's really what you were expecting to happen with that money later. Right. Yeah. And which is why rich people, if it was only money, rich people wouldn't get divorced. That's true. Right. Right. Have all the money in the world. Right. (laughs) So So it's a lot more complicated than people think. So for example, with money, what I learned was, and this is actually really relevant today with what's going on with COVID because people's finances are going to be like this now, right? Mm -hmm. So people do really well like this, even if they're not making a lot of money, but it's consistent, they do really well with that. So that's why after like the dot-com crash, what was that now, 15 years ago? People who live like this and were fine, but then were living up here and then went back to this, tons of divorces because um, it was really hard to go back, which is sort of ironic and interesting, right? Mm-hmm. So people do not do well with this. They do much better with this is what I learned. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, you're right about that. I think, and not only the change of a lot of things, finances, because people will be out of job, finding or being stuck in a small house in a day-to-day and that annoys everyone, that's going to be cost a lot of friction to... Oh, it's going to be huge. And I think, you know, another thing that I learned, I think this is going to be similar. I interviewed the lawyers in Florida after one of the hurricanes. Mm -hmm. She said that people who lost their houses and now got a big check from their insurance company, they looked at their spouse and said, you know what? Now we could just take this money and split it, right? And go on our own ways. Like we were, we were probably fine together and maybe we'd never have gotten divorced if we still had the house, but mm-hmm. taking away um, that, and now we have the opposite, interestingly. Now we're stuck in our houses. And I think it's gonna be a really challenge, big challenge for people. Like I've got some friends who, I've got one girlfriend who 
she worked a hundred hours a week and traveled two weeks a year. Well, now all of a sudden she's not working and she's, you know, with her husband some full time, it's a whole different dynamic she's got to deal with. So, and I think a lot of people are in that boat where their dynamic has just completely changed and shifted. I keep joking to my dad, I'm like, you're going to have so much business, you know, when this is all over, <laughs> you're going to have to start setting up times now for people to come in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you, now you're you're, you know, like just this morning, I was like, "Don't use my computer." You go downstairs. Like, don't touch my thing. Like, it's just hard, and especially when you're in this situation where you don't really know what's going on or what's going to happen next, and the anxiety. Even though you know we tried the meditation and get this clarity, what's your purpose in life? Some days you're just not okay. Like yesterday, I was feeling not very good, especially knowing about this long we talked about it in the beginning, that's your sense of hope and now it's gone or am I going to get a loan from the government? And I mean, it's just like, and it changed your attitude about a lot of things, like your emotions and, um, you know, it, it just affect everything. You know, that's what I'm saying, now we're dealing with everything. You're the, the stress of being with someone 24 seven, which is never easy. It's hard enough to be with yourself 24 seven, right? Mm-hmm. With someone else. And then I think the business stress that people are feeling the uncertainty. And then we're just, even when you go outside and see everyone in mass, it really, I don't think anyone's not freaked out by that. Right. Yeah. How can you not be? So I, we're just like in a new world that was really thrust on us very suddenly. I can't even think of a time where something was thrust on us this suddenly. Yeah. You? Yeah, no, I think it's, um, you know, uh, getting myself prepared that everyone we will be so hesitant and we're s- such a social human being. I mean, and just in here, we all hug each other. We, every time we, you know what I mean? We're such a hugger and, um, and that's going to change. And it's going to be just the thought of limiting our day-to-day life. It's like mind boggling to me. I mean, what do you miss the most now that the world's changed? I think going to friends' house and getting together is really what I miss the most because that really gives me really great energy of like socializing. I mean, we still can socialize via Zoom, but it's still different. Very different. Very different. Yeah. What do you miss the most? I think the same as you. Like I love, um, I love people watching. Like I love the energy of just being around a bunch of people. Like I'm a city girl, I think. Like I kind of live in the country, which I love. But like I love going to busy restaurants and shows and concerts. You know, we hear so many speakers in EO, going to those kind of events, having interesting conversations with random people. Like that's all the, that's why I'm like you, I think in that way. I think that's really what I'm missing the most. Mm -hmm. And I hope we don't go, what if our normal's not hugging people? Like I, I think that's like the key to our species. Honestly, like we're we're designed to be with people. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and we we got ideas and creativity of surrounding ourselves with wonderful people and just the laughter of being, yeah, you know, in a nice table or enjoying a nice meal or talking about you traveling. It's I think for me too is the traveling part. I'm getting so antsy. Oh, right. The traveling, right. The traveling is very hard. Like, you know, I want to be everywhere, but we can't. Yeah. Yeah. So the last big thing I did before this COVID thing happened was at that Mexico city trip. Yes. Oh my God. And you guys were wearing masks. Which I think we tried to talk you into, but I actually learned a lot from being in um, Mexico city and their culture. Mm-hmm. Their culture is so present and open and warm wow. and they're very um family oriented like you go into a restaurant there and unlike here like we're on our phones or we can't wait to get to the next thing people would sit at a restaurant for like two and a half hours it's same like in europe right but they don't bring you the check for like three hours right but i really love that where people were just like we're enjoying each other's company um no one's in a rush no one's looking at their phone and i was thinking back then like God, that would be so great if the United States was more like that. And then we come back here and we really, we really go to like no contact, right? And so even a little bit that we had, but I think that everyone's going to be like really appreciating the in-person experiences 
um, and the people in our world and being more present, I think that will hopefully be a blessing after all this is over. Wow. Wow. So how was the food while you were there? I've heard the food is... The food? Yeah. Amazing. Really? Oh my God. I know. So, it was so different than I pictured. It was, just, it was like literally going to Europe and it's four hours from here. It was incredible. Wow. Wow. We'll go, we'll go together when um, Next time. it's all over. Yes, yes. Yeah. I've been wanting to go. I'm supposed to go with you, but yeah. I think it was like the the you know the I was already quarantined at that time when you guys were traveling. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I started early. Wow. <laughs> I started very early. I've already been quarantined during our um retreat because did I mention it to you that I was oh. already dealing this issue in the Philippines? No. Well, we were, yeah, I think I, like, I have to, I have to deal with it at night. I was on a call because I have to move guests. Um, the health officials are, like, they're removing my guests because they have travel history. So I was already dealing with that at the time. I was already stressed at the, um, at our retreat in Palm Spring. Wow. Yeah. So what's going, tell me what's going on in the Philippines. Like, what do you see their life being there? Because you know, we have a, a lot of affluence in the United States. I feel like there's probably a lot of people there who were just really living, you know, hand to mouth, right? Yeah, yeah. It's very difficult. It, it is very difficult. A lot of people are hungry. And, I mean, they're getting support from the government. But some of the city or island, they were very strict that one person is allowed to do grocery. It's only one person that is allowed to go to grocery and they are on a schedule when you can go to grocery. So that's really disrupt, disrupting people's lives. But I understand why they're doing that. But what about people that doesn't really have the money to eat three times a day, which majority of people are? So that's a difficult task to solve. That's a difficult problem to solve. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I mentioned, I have my aunt. I think she's fully recovered now. She had uh, coronavirus and she's a nurse in New York. Oh, wow. So tell me about that. Yeah, she was telling me how, um, how it's so difficult. If you really don't have the courage to really fight. And I, I, I asked her, what is, I mean... She said she, she already got the H1N1 in the past, but this is even 10 times worse. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to believe because um, we don't really know anyone's close to us that really go through the, not just a mild case, but the hard case. But right. she was just staying in her apartment because she's scared to go to the hospital She's just seen all that. She works in the trauma center, so she saw what's happening there. So she's just staying and self-medicating at home. And she said that at one point she was just crawling to cook her own soup just to get strength because wow. imagine, like, the body ache is so painful. It feels like someone is just throwing rocks in your back. That's how it feels like. It scares me. Wow, that's, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Every time I would go to the grocery store and I get this psychosomatic reaction, like, oh my God, my heart is like, <laughs> did you, did, that, did that ever happen to you? Like, is there something wrong with my lungs? Like, I feel like. We've all become hypochondriacs, right? I was actually like sick the other day and I was like, I had like a headache and sore throat and I'm like, oh yeah, you actually can be sick, but not have this. There's like other things that you could be sick with or if you sneeze or whatever. I think everyone's like that, right? Yeah, I think we have the like, hmm, I might have already coronavirus a long time <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. So uh, Wendy, how do you want to be remembered? I think I really want to be remembered as a um, good daughter, wife, mother, and friend. Wow, that's wonderful. I could talk to you forever. I am having so much fun. Are you having fun? Yes, we should do this every day. <laughs> we should do this every day. I got so much today. Thank you for sharing all those um, tips and uh, 
your books and your ideas. I, I learned so much. So thank you so much for sharing. So I really relate to you because I think that we both love new ideas. Uh-huh. Right? And, and get a thrill from that. Um, not every, you know, and I really respect like let's say you're Elon Musk, right? Or you're Steve Jobs and you're, you know, building Apple. Like I could never done that because once I built the first thing, I'd be like, okay, <laughs> this is boring. Now what else? So you have the people who build these giant companies and have that kind of focus long-term for years and years are really, I think, incredible. But I really relate to you because I think we're just like, wouldn't it be cool to try this? You know, I think we're kind of in that mindset, which I love. So it's fun. You know, sometimes too, when I, I travel or like I would go to the Philippines or Europe and I see things like what you're seeing, like, oh, this never exists in the U.S. And I need to like knock my head, like, okay, stop thinking. This is another opportunity. I see opportunity everywhere. Like, okay, stop. Just focus on what you're doing now and do, do the next time. Yeah. yeah. So I think, that's a, I think that's a blessing and a curse of being an idea person, right? It's fun to have all those ideas, but it's also a curse because it's really hard to focus on one thing. So Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and thank it, you so much, Wendy. Wendy, where can they find you? What's your handle? Find me on Facebook. I'm not very active on Twitter or Instagram, but I have Instagram accounts. I think I gave you all the contact information. So Instagram is just, I don't know how I, I just Wendy Jaffe. I don't know how I, one of my kids must have signed me up early on. There's no way I could have gotten such an easy name. And then, um, and then Facebook also just Wendy Jaffe. So, well, thank you so much. It's so refreshing and I enjoyed uh, so much in this conversation and we can do it again thanks All right, bye we hope you enjoyed the show don't forget to rate review and subscribe and visit katehancock.com so you don't miss out on the next episode